Oh, I finally saw Encanto. Nice. Okay, what do you think? I liked it. Yeah, I like it. I, I don't know. I don't know the fuss about we don't talk about Bruno though. Like it's a good song. Yeah, it's a good song. I think the uh, pressure one is better. Yes, I, I know that was much catchier. Luca is still better. But, Which also uh, has a thing about Bruno. Silencio, Bruno. Why do they not like Brunos? Don't know. What has Bruno done to Disney? What has Bruno done to Disney? Answer the Q and A. God, <laughs> send us things in. What has Bruno done? Well, they can't talk about it even even if we know. Yeah, it's like Fight Club. Do you see it's got a new ending in China? I heard about it, but I didn't. So, thing didn't actually like look what it was. It's been edited, so it ends with spoilers of Fight Club. It ends just before the buildings blow up, and the screen cuts to black, and it says something like, "The authorities follow the plot at the last minute, and everybody's arrested." <laughs> really? Yeah. Holy this is what crap! I read. Oh my god. <laughs> Which is very much, you know, Poochie died on the way back to his home planet. Yeah. Oh my god. Is that really, is yeah. that really real? Yeah. That's, that's both ridiculous and terrifying. Yeah. Cool. Well, the, 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 good this... luck making a humorous star out of that. I know. I was going to say, this isn't connected to China. Now, listen to this, me old China. Cockney rhyming slang, trying to play mate, just in case you didn't know that. Is a brilliant link. Rob, just fucking start us off, man. I'm running out of things to say. Are you gonna bark all day? This is a tasty burger. I am just a figment of your imagination. Here's Johnny! You are a sad, strange little man. These guys were that. Don't fail me again. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Popcorn Bucket Podcast with Ben and Rob. This is a regular look at the wonderful world of films, film franchises, and film nonsense. This week is a one-shot episode, where we pick a topic and choose a standalone film that isn't connected to a prequel, spin-off, or sequel, and hope that the other one hasn't chosen it, and that we've chosen wisely, yet uniquely. This week, the random popcorn maker film topics has taken us all the way back to the year 2012. I noticed you were speaking a lot slower this time for your intro did you want to get a nice clean take of it no i've realized i've realized if i pretend you're the microphone and look at the microphone i sound better 2012 was the international year of cooperatives (laughs) sorry 2012 was the year of what the international year of cooperatives and also the international year of sustainable energy for all it was the year in which the encyclopedia britannica discontinued its print edition after 246 years uh, it was the century's second and last solar transit of Venus, and the last analogue television broadcasts were made in, in the United Kingdom in Northern Ireland. It was also the London Olympics, and in terms of franchises, it was the year that The Dark Knight Rises, Avengers Assemble, and Skyfall were released. Also Hunger Games. And also Hunger Games. I'm, I'm sure there were many others, but they were the three that you know. Yeah. I enjoyed. I've told you that I got ID'd for Hunger Games, right? No. It was 2012, so I was younger. What, 20, 25? 24, 25? And I got ID'd for 12A. <laughs> Going into Hunger Games. You do have a cherubic face. I do, but it's just like, I, and I grew like some scraps of beard, and that has aged me up a little bit. Hmm. But You should probably give the scraps yeah. back at some point. I've had them for over 10 years now i think that i can squat is right yeah exactly <laughs> it's squatting on my face and it shall stay there um 
don't take that out of context. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I'm editing this one. <laughs> um, so yes, 2012 was all those things and more. Now, who goes first? You, because I went first last time. Okay. I found this one, there was so much choice. Because I thought, do you know what? I'm not going to beat you in a quality kind of thing. Because you tend to pick kind of ones that, you know, the crowd pleases. And I tend to pick the ones that, you know, true film fans love, but not the shit munchers. Have I offended enough people yet? <laughs> so I thought, oh, God, uh there's uh, the Guy Pearce movie Lockout. That's something I want to talk about. Partly because I like the film, but partly because of the ridiculous lawsuit that ensued from it. But I thought, bump that. Bump that. There's only one choice. Django Unchained. Ah, okay. Now, I was grappling with this for a little bit because I thought, does it count as part of the Django franchise? I don't think so. No, but I thought... Little Pacifity Rob, he might get on my case. Oh, there's loads of Janko films. Ah, that's what you sound like in my head. And yeah, so I decided to go for this one, I, and I rewatched it, hmm. and uh, and and now I'll talk about it for a bit, if you don't mind. That's how it works. <laughs> so yes, Django Unchained. Do we need to say when it was released? Twenty twelve. Yeah, but with yeah. you, you never know. Oh, I mean, okay. I would have allowed it if you'd gone for the film twenty twelve. <laughs> oh god that is one of the worst movies i've seen in the cinema also i will say that 2012 had a bunch of movies that i liked but also two that i really really hated okay which were project x mm. and take this waltz i remember you i remember you disliking project x at the time yeah oh god i mean i haven't watched it since for obvious reasons because it makes me angry anyway django unchained written and directed by quentin tarantino Starring Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, Samuel Jackson, Don Johnson, Kerry Washington. Uh, who else am I missing? Jonah Hill has a cameo. Walton Goggins. Oh, yes, Walton Goggins. How could I forget the Goggins? Yeah, Goggins, he doesn't really have a big part in it, but he's he, he's memorable. So, so yeah, the story is, if, in case you weren't aware, I mean, I knew you are, Rob, but, you know, people at home, Django is a slave he is he is freed Django's Jamie Foxx he is freed by Dr. King Schultz Christoph Waltz because Dr. King Schultz is a bounty hunter and he needs someone to point out his next targets the Brittle Brothers and as Django worked on the plantation he would know them by sight and uh, and as as they sort of team up uh, Django becomes a bounty hunter by himself, and they they go through and they concoct a plan to rescue his wife, who is still in captivity under the horrible, horrible rule of Calvin Candy, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, a plantation owner, rich guy, an all-around arsehole. Oh, and Samuel Jackson's like his head butler, confidant guy. That's all you need to know. So I think I was I was trying to think of my sort of rankings of Tarantino movies, like my personal things. I think Reservoir Dogs is always going to be top for me. I know Pulp okay. Fiction is top for a lot of people. Yeah, I think Pulp Fiction has come second, and then I think I think Django and Chain comes third. I love this movie. Hmm. And Glorious um, might pip it for me. Oh, that's yeah, that's up there. 
but it's it's kind of similar to Inglorious Bastards yes. in a lot of yes. ways. The sort of rewriting history, the sort of uh, leaning into the pulpy aspects of it. The violence is ridiculously over the top. Well, I find it interesting. Oh, like, go on. I always find the, find the, the uh, violence interesting in Django. It's kind of split into, sorry if this is what you're going to say, but it's almost kind of split into three parts that you kind of got the first part of the film is like a training montage with Django and King, well, King training Django how to be a bounty hunter and him sort of like learning the ways of, you know, even about taking a hat off indoors. Mm. And the violence there is kind of fun and Tarantino-esque. And you mm. then got the bit at the Candyland plantation, which is horrible. There's there's so much violence there, but it's 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 almost the it's Mandingo a fights. Yeah, it's a completely almost different level of violence. It's kind of yeah like, yeah yeah. I mean, it's gratuitous, but it's not. Sometimes his violence is almost comical, like you know, with the over the top squibs and the oh, sa- definitely. and the sound effects. Whereas in the plantation, it, it's it's you know, no one's watching that sort of chuckling. It's it's horrific. And then it, mm. again, at the end, goes to kind of being an uh, an all out revenge part and again it goes back to being comical with um scripts with you know big sound effects and stuff yeah yeah it, it is interesting how how it does that because uh yes it, it has to be said that the violence against slaves in general that that, that is portrayed as nastily as possible yeah it's never common you feel every whip you feel every kind of thing and it, it it's it's deeply deeply unpleasant and one of one of the both both involving Calvin Candy because, you know, I mean Jesus Christ. But there's there's a, a runaway slave who's who's ripped apart by dogs. D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan, yes. And his name is important. And there's also the it, in his introduction, they're they're the two the two men fighting in the Mandingo fights. And uh, oh dear Lord, that is that is brutal to watch. So yeah, it, it is interesting because it, it, because that's the thing. It does go super cartoony with with the kind of the fun violence, the the sort of people getting what they deserve, uh, you know. And and yeah, as you said, it's like big old cartoon squibs. I mean, even even in the uh, opening scene where King Schultz kind of frees Django, and then the rest of the chain gang line, and and just leaves the other slave owner to his fate. Yeah, he gives him and the choice of you can free him, and, take him to hospital. <laughs> yeah, which is about you know three miles or thirty miles that way, or you can kill him and you know make a life for yourself. The North Star uh, so that he, way. Yeah, and and that's the thing they shoot him because obviously they do. And I saw his head goes something like twenty foot in the air. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just you know, and it, it it they always have. I I think these sort of sound effects in this movie. There was a lot of like punching jelly and and yes. things like that. Like even in the uh, the Candyland shootout, I swear it's like artillery fire. Like I think it's meant to be it, to kind of heighten it to almost take it mm. back away from the horrific violence to be comical violence. Yeah, and it it works, and and you know it's fun then because you've got the two pack that comes in, and you've got you know like it, that's that's all awesome. That that violence is fun, and I I, I think that. You know, there's there are some really really great images as well. I've always liked when they do finally find the Brittle Brothers, and Schultz has to take out the guy who's running away on the horse, Ellis, and he shoots him. And again, even though it was miles away, it's still huge jelly squib. Yeah. Um, but the blood spatters on the cotton fields, 
like oh, you get a shot of, of the cotton just being spattered red yeah. with the blood, which is a fantastic shot. Just it's a, such a great image. Well, um, the bit where he because um, you got the flashback to Django and Brumhilda being caught by the Brittle Brothers and Django begging for you know for him uh, for one of the Brittle Brothers to stop uh, whipping yeah them Brumhilda. Brumhilda. And he says, I like the way you, uh, I like the way you beg, boy. And then yeah. when Django starts, uh, finds the Brittle Brothers. Well, he, and, he, and, he, he whips him. Yes, repeatedly. <laughs> and by that yeah, point, you're fully on board with it. And then says, I like the oh, way you course. die, boy. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's huge retribution. You're like, yes, whip him more, bastard. But yeah, <laughs> he, he shot the one brother through the Bible pages that he sort of puts on himself. Yeah, like. yeah. That's an odd detail, but he shoots him through one of the things. Yeah, I like the way you die, boy. And then they use that back oh. in the Unchained uh, Payback song at the end, when in the shootout yeah. in, the, in Candyland. The big payback. Yeah, it's oh, it's brilliant. It really, really is. So, you know, I, I've I've seen people kind of not not in this role, but I've seen people dissing Jamie Fox elsewhere, and okay. I I can I can sort of see why in certain movies, but I think he's brilliant in this. Yeah. He is so so good. Apparently, it was meant it was going to be Will Smith at one point, but then Will Smith wanted. He didn't feel that the film was about Django. Yeah, enough. Yes, um, I've heard a. I can't remember when it was or who it was or what or which one it was. So this is great referencing of sources. But I, <laughs> um, I, I heard a podcast once where they were saying that it is incredibly unusual, almost the part. It may not even happen, or is very rare. Um, for a black character to kill like the main white villain, that kind of because I always thought oh, it's a shame, you know, Will Smith didn't do it, and it was, you know, what does it matter? But now, sort of thinking, hearing that, and sort of thinking more about it, it's you know, why shouldn't Django be the one to kill Candy? Why is it King? And in these films, it's always you know the black the black character doesn't tend to shoot the main white villain. Yeah, because it's not King's. It's, it's almost it's not his business it's not his revenge yeah but i think i think that's what, what he says because he says i couldn't resist yeah and i think i think there are some i will say because i skipped around so yeah jamie fox excellent i mean yeah, 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 he, yeah it is it is a brilliant performance and i love seeing django come into his own like just get more confident i like how he he learns etiquette as well like he he's put he puts his hat on the table when they go into the town and Schultz tells the man to go get the sheriff. And so he says, alas, we must be our own bartenders and, and whatever. So he pours him and Django a beer and Django has his hat on the table and he, he kind of chides him for that. And that etiquette does come up later as well. Yeah, you don't wear that <laughs> um, indoors, dummy. Yeah, even I know that, is what he says. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's great. And and Calvin Candy has etiquette things as well. Like And, and so it's interesting that, that Schultz and candy have those two codes that they keep to this because i love inglorious bastards i i think it's it's so much fun it's brilliant it, it it's genuinely fantastic but christoph waltz is charming as fuck in that movie and it really messes with you because he's a horrible jew hunting nazi bastard i it, you want him to you want him to get his comeuppance and you want him to get the thing but He's really charismatic. Hmm. Dot King Schultz, nowhere near that 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 bad. He's a bounty hunter. He kills people, but this is such a charming performance, and I love I love how Schultz is 
as I said, with the etiquette. I like that he views Django as an equal immediately. Like there's no, there's no, he has no compunction when it comes to the things. Because even riding into that town where they where they have the uh, drink and Django puts his hat on the table, um, you know, there are people staring because it's a it's a black man riding a horse, you know, and that's that's unheard of and unseen, you know. But I like that Schultz just kind of brushes by that. He doesn't care, and he it doesn't have all the problematic Nazi stuff. <laughs> so it <laughs> finds a route for him in this. Cause you almost, because, because Hans Lander is such a, he's a horrible bastard, but he's kind of got cartoon type stuff as well. Like I really like this sort of one upmanship you get with the pipe at the beginning of Inglourious Bastards. You know, the ridiculous pipe he has, yep. you know, that, that, that sort of stuff. Like, you know, it's okay to like Christopher. Well, he's Holtz almost he's almost a hissable. He's almost like a pantomime villain. I know he does horrific stuff, but yeah. he's almost yeah. He yeah. is almost the way he's exactly. played. It's almost hissable. Whereas Candy yeah. is is just terrifying. Candy is horrible, and apparently Candy is one of Tarantino said that it's one of the characters he created that he truly detests. Yeah, and you can see why. You know, I mean, just but like everything about him is uh, is bad. So anyway, thing is. King Schultz, he he's brilliant. He he just works. I I even like his introduction and when he introduces his horse Fritz and Fritz does a bow. That's great. That's a lovely little character thing. Yeah, I I and I think he's he's genuinely funny as well. Like and, and some of the lines are are just killer lines. They're amazing. I, I always hear, got, hear the phrase "You're an abysmal winner." Uh, pops into yes. my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think oh, that's sort of you saying that they both have codes. I think that's why it escalates when, um, because Candy is, you know, kind of beating them and they're having to pay yeah. the money for Brumhilda. And they both push it too far to stick to their codes, which is why he ends up getting shot. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's the, that's the thing. As soon as you see that they've got that sort of weird, I mean, Candy, Candy himself, he's pretentious. Isn't he? Like that's the whole thing. Like because he prefers to be called Monsieur Candy. Yeah, because he doesn't speak French. Yeah, he's a francophile, but he doesn't speak French, which King Schultz speaks fluently. Yeah, you know, so so you know, it, it, uh, it it's it's ridiculous, but yeah, you know, Candy believes in that sort of southern gentleman type thing, the hospitality, the whole sort of like charade of the whole thing, and yeah, and then he has to twist the knife, he has to kind of ask for that handshake. And, you know, so Candy was never going to let Schultz leave without the handshake and Schultz was never going to shake his hand. And that's why he couldn't resist. It's just, it, yeah, they're on a collision course. So, yeah, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio, this is a, a crazily good performance because it's, I love DiCaprio. I think he is genuinely brilliant. And uh, I think he's he's kind of got that whole thing where he's a big movie star, but you kind of forget about that sometimes i think he does disappear into his characters a little bit especially this because i mean this is i don't think he's ever played this villainous and this unpleasant yeah it's his first villain role since something like the man in the iron mask or something uh, and he's so good i mean you hate Hmm. alvin camp yeah yeah, yeah. just everything about him he's smug as i said he's pretentious he's violent He, he he's obviously insanely racist as is everyone Except King Schultz. Calvin Candy is is such a horrible, horrible villain. I think he actually sort of outdoes like Hitler 
in Inglorious Bastards. Like Hitler is is obviously terrible, right? And Hans Lander is awful. But I don't know. I didn't kind of want to reach through the screen and fucking choke them like I yeah. did with Calvin yeah, yeah. Candy. So yeah, it, it's it, it is it is brilliant. And and I still think the scene where he's found out about Schultz and and Django's kind of true plans, their true intentions, and his whole belief in phrenology. Yeah, uh, the shape of the head and everything, and 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 bringing out the skull of old Ben and talking about the natural subservience of black people. It's just, it's awful, but it's you can't tear your eyes away from it. Well, that's one of the, you know that's a hallmark of Tarantino films, isn't it? The sort of um, people sort of all stuck in a confined setting and that, that upping the tension as you know you know that something's going to kick off and you've got that in Reservoir Dogs with the you know locked in the room you've got it in Inglorious Bastards with the uh, in the bar scene and it just you mm-hmm. know it just keeps amping up the tension but I think this is probably one of the more tense things he's done because you know that Candy's just going to sort of kick off at any minute and yeah 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 and it's it's uh and obviously the the, the much quoted thing is that DiCaprio didn't mean to cut his hand no. he slammed his hand down on, on the table and it and the glass cut his hand and that wasn't in the script and you can see him picking glass from his hand, which, you know, I mean, that's that's incredible acting right there. I'm not sure I'd be able to act my way around cutting open my hand on some glass, would you? No, I was glad I think- to find out that, because I always thought he smeared his blood over Kerry Washington's face. I was like, Did you get <laughs> a say in well- that? It's fake. It's fake blood, yeah, they they roll with it. But I'm so glad, I am I was really, really glad when it was fake blood as well, when I found that out. I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a bit much, but... Obviously, and Samuel Jackson is an interesting presence. In Samuel this as Jackson well. is, is one of his most different roles, isn't it? I think because again, he's detestable. Well, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he's initially kind of kind of funny, mm, and yes. and you know because he's like a crotchety old man and whatever. But it's all a ruse. He's kind of playing that up. I don't know if he ha- he seems to have genuine affection for Calvin, but I'm not entirely sure. We always um, get the sense that he's the one that really runs the house. Yeah, well, that's it, and and certainly all the other all the other slave workers are scared of him. Because you got the bit when he tells Candy about the their plan. He's the um, you know he says meet me in the library, and he's yeah. sat in the chair you know in Candy's chair drinking cal- uh, Candy's brandy, Candy's brandy, um, <laughs> <laughs> and looking mighty dandy. <laughs> yeah and yeah he tells him the whole thing yeah 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 in the scene where Schultz and Django are chatting about Django's character who he's going to play to go onto these plantations to see if they can track down the Brittle brothers and that's where they meet Don Johnson's big daddy and uh and oh that that I love that blue suit that Django yeah. picks out for himself it's from a painting uh, it is, yeah, the blue boy, yeah. I think. But uh, it's such a great look. Because the backstory there is meant to be that, that it was like it, it, in the house of one of the plantations that Django worked on, and that's what, that's almost like his view of what a fancy person looks like. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. That's that's a cool bit of backstory. Yeah, well, Tarantino does things like that, mm, doesn't he? Yeah. He doesn't leave anything to chance, and he, he workshops with these actors, you know, and I'm, I'm sure they... Him and Jamie Fox had a ball coming up with Django's kind of backstory, but yeah, it. Jesus Christ, I I can't think of too many more films that have as many n words as this film does. Mm. But and, and so people call it racist, and you know that's a judgment call. Uh, I last time I checked, I have a white penis, so I'm probably not 
Again, the best you person. Give that back at some point. <laughs> I'm probably not the best person to uh, to to weigh in on that, but I think that I think the film does a good job of showing how ludicrous racism is it, with that Big Daddy scene. You you know, uh, Schultz explains that Django is a free man, and and so so you know and and Big Daddy's delegating to his workers like one of his slaves says. You mean I should treat them like white folk? And he's like, no, 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 no. You know, so it, so not, you know, not like a regular black person, but not like white folk either. It, 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 some guy, <laughs> the son of some guy, Jerry, treat him like Jerry. You know, it's it's it shows how ridiculous it is. And and the the clan in this are, you know, they're portrayed as absolute buffoons. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you've got the whole sequence where they've got pillowcases on their heads and the eye holes are too small and they're all complaining about it, bitching and moaning, and Jonah Hill makes a great cameo. But, you know, it, again, it, it's it, I think it, it does a fantastic job of showing just how stupid bigotry and racism is as a thing. I, I think it is... I, I think it is... It's always pointing at how ridiculous it is. Whether that exonerates it or not, again, not my call. But uh, there is a counter- there is a counterpoint to that. That uh, I think Tarantino said that he used the N word so much to kind of make it almost, you know, because that's the way people talked and kind of make it more realistic and to kind of show how horrific it is. But um, there was some criticism about the sort of the, the the that bit was accurate, but a lot of the sort of the day to day lives of the slaves in the film wasn't accurate. So he was, you know, he was making sure the language was accurate. But not the kind of the actions. Tarantino said he, he makes kind of two ty- types of movies, like movies and then movies that his his other characters would watch. I think Kill Bill is a movie that his other characters would watch. I think Inglorious Bastards is a movie that you know someone like Vincent Vega would watch. No, that's meant to be in the I think in the Tarantino verse. It's yeah, it's Jackie Brown and Kill Bill are films, but everything else takes place. But. But that's the thing, though, because you have you have that, and then Django is also kind of a Shaft prequel. Yes, because they are his great great grandparents. Yeah, the Von Shafts. Yeah. So I and I I'm pretty. I maybe Shaft exists in the Tarantino verse. Who knows? It's not. It's not all about the continuity or anything. But mm. I think, as we said, with with the sort of violence and everything, I think it gets very pulpy and very comic booky and that's that's the point yes the language you know uh you can you can argue that it's inappropriate or as appropriate as as you want but i i don't know i mean from from my point of view my very limited point of view it it doesn't seem particularly hurtful it it's not saying anything abhorrent it's not saying anything kind of that isn't progressive or whatever i think maybe just its terminology maybe it's just a little indelicate about it but tarantino is indelicate that's what he does he's a sledgehammer he's not a scalpel so yeah it, it's it's an it is brilliant i mean it, all the tarantino stuff is there great dialogue fun action um great soundtrack i mean the soundtrack you you, you start with the the Django theme from the other the other movies, uh, which don't count as the franchise for this. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then you have got anachronistic things. I love the Jim Croce 
song that they have with the winter montage. Do you remember that? Uh, I don't know the song. I know the, I know the montage. Yeah, where he's like learned to shoot on the uh, against yeah. the snowman, and then they have the flashback at the end where they call it where um, King calls him the fastest gun in the south. Because Tarantino said this isn't a western; it's a southern. Yeah, is it the big payback or something? But Tupac featuring James Brown. Yeah, that, for... that's my highlight song in it. Oh, the uh, Black Coffins is a good one as well. Which you thought was Black Dolphins. I did. Have I told you that before? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I need a hundred Black Dolphins. Black <laughs> Dolphins. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see a hundred Black Dolphins, but I just, I, I don't think that's what they're actually singing about. So yeah, there, there are, there are some, there are some odd things. It, it does seem oddly paced to me because spoilers for Django Unchained, um, if we haven't spoiled it already, but once. Candy dies. It feels like you know that the, the big shootout, and then there's like an extra bit. Yeah, it feels like he's had the revenge in the house. It then goes. He then gets given to uh, the, the uh, mining Quint- company, the Quinticky people. Yeah, with a terrible cameo from Tarantino. Um, what are you talking about? That's an amazing Australian accent. Oh, is that what it was? Um, <laughs> and then he goes back to have revenge again. And to be honest, it. It doesn't need the second revenge. He's already had the revenge. He's shot all the people. I, I don't know. I I think I think killing Stephen is is definitely yeah. But they part could have they could have put all that together. I mean, well he, well, he kills you know because um, Walton Goggins his character and there's the, the bit where they say goodbye to, to Candy's sister and then yeah. um, she just he shoots her and she flies backwards again like that sort of over the top thing and then he does get to her candy's clothes and does look cool in the burgundy he he does look really cool and burgundy is his color mm. and yeah and I, I love the exchange i i think i think it's just to show django not necessarily fighting for his life but like taking the fights okay, to candyland yeah, yeah. and and becoming the sort of bounty hunter becoming the the shaft kind of predecessor you know becoming that sort of thing but I, I love the exchange between Steven and, and Django when Django's going down the stairs and, you know, he's already shot. I can't remember her name, but Candy's sister and, and everyone. And Is that uh, right, sir? It's, it's something like that. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah. Say goodbye to, you know, Bamis, whatever. It begins with an L, I think. And then, yeah, then she gets <laughs> yanked off screen. But then Steven drops his cane, didn't need that, no. and says, I count six shots, N word. And uh, Django says, "Got two guns." <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! It just, just that sort of cool dialogue. Mm. I, I, He's I a cool always have. Yeah, I and 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 that's it. You know, it's it's like I remember, and I was trying to find this. I was trying to find a review, and I swear I did. One of the reviews was mostly positive about the whole thing, but it was saying that Jamie Fox seemed uncomfortable with the one-liners, like the way he says, "Like the way you die, boy," kind of like in a breathy, hushed tone. And that's not the badass kind of thing. But the whole point was that he was kind of learning. He was coming into his own as as a thing. And you look at some of the quips he has later on in the movie, mm. and, and he delivers them just like any other action hero. Yeah, I thought he was cool. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah and, and it was cool anyway. I, I, and I, I was trying to find this review because it, it that's stuck with me. And I think I read the review at the time, so it stuck with me for 10 years. And I, I couldn't find it in time. Maybe I'll come across it again. Hello, editor Ben here. Uh, just I found the review that I was talking about. It's actually the Empire review, and uh, 
the bit I was talking about says, sadly, the weak link, ironically, is Jamie Foxx. The man has physical presence, that is undeniable, and as Django he certainly looks the part, yet he never feels entirely right as the gritty gunslinging hero, or rather sounds right. Fox is gifted with a lilty soft musical voice, but it jars against Django's terse deliveries. I like the way you die, boy, should be a grit spat humdinger of a zinger, but with Fox it falls like a feather. So, yeah, I was saying that's kind of the point that he's coming into the whole one-liner type thing, and by the end of the movie... Uh, the the I count two guns is great, so yeah, there we go. Back to the podcast. I love the over-the-top way that um, Kerry Washington puts her fingers in her ears before the house explodes. Yeah, but but that's it. It's all it's all cartoony then at that point. Yeah, the sort of almost from off-screen. <laughs> the yeah, yeah, and I like little troublemaker and big troublemaker. Yeah, yeah, their their reunion is nice as well. It is, and I, I, I like Schultz. Kind of, he says, "Our mutual friend has a has a flair for the dramatic <laughs> because he knows that they got to make they, he's got to make an entrance." And ah, uh, it, it's it's great. And I think Kerry Washington she, she doesn't get much to do in in the first like two thirds of the movie because obviously she's she's at Candyland, but uh, but I I think she does so well. And Jesus Christ, she sells pain. Mm. Like you, you, you feel it all. It's horrible, and like being in the hot box and stuff as well. Just, just awful, awful stuff. But that's what Tarantino does. He confronts you with things that you don't want to see a lot of the time. You know. Yeah, I think it is. It is a strength of the film that the minute he gets to Candyland until King shoots Candy, it yeah. isn't King Candy. It, it isn't. <laughs> um, uh, the violence isn't gratuitous. It isn't comical, and the, and although there's kind of the one-liners and, it, but it isn't not downplaying the horrors. I think you know Schultz when he's thinking about D'Artagnan, and he's thinking about the name, and I I love the Alexandre Dumas kind of conversation about the Three Musketeers and how again he just shows up Candy for the pretentious fucking idiot he is because he didn't know he was black. I think that you know you even get a flashback to. D'Artagnan being killed and it, you know and it's it, it's you know it puts you in that frame of mind hmm. uh, it, it does a really good job of that yeah so yes no there is a delineation with the violence and I think it does very very well I just love it I've seen Django Unchained a lot yeah and uh, it's, it's one of the things like some of Tarantino's other stuff like Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I love but it's not something I'd kind of stick on for a watch because it, it they're slower going and you know they I like this sort of atmosphere of those and I like the dialogue sort of washing over me whereas this it's got everything I love it very 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 much and this is why it could only be my pick for 2012 so there we go did you ever read I think I may have mentioned it before but he uh, Tarantino wrote a comic uh, I've tried to order it okay. I haven't read it but yeah there's a there's an official Django sequel slash Zorro crossover Django thing. Zorro it's, it's really good yeah and he's said he wants to make a film well with Antonio Banderas reprising his role as Zorro yeah well that would be incredible yeah I would absolutely love that Jamie Foxx and Antonio Banderas Django and Zorro that would yeah. be, be the ultimate movie yeah no I, I really want to read it because it just watching this reminded me how much I love Django and Shane that is my choice for 2012 bitch what you got well Benjamin I will confess at this point I watched two films. 
the old Ben move. The old Ben move. Oh, is that what you do? No, I used to, but okay. then I started to sort of like. Then you made me feel bad about the whole like betraying the idea of the one shot. So it's interesting that you watch two films now, but you must have known I was going to pick Django. I uh, no, there was actually looking down the down the list. I wasn't sure if you go for Dread. I nearly did. So I watched two. I watched two films. Um, I watched one because I hadn't seen it, and I could definitely see you picking it. Um, School of Rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the film 2012. Um, <laughs> and I decided to watch my choice for 2012 as well. And if you, and you know, and I wasn't sure which one I'd go for. One is maybe an interesting choice just to talk about. The other one was a much better choice. So the two films I chose were Django Unchained and John Carter. Dude, I nearly picked John Carter and as I well. I picked John Carter because I thought you would pick John Carter because I'm, I, I was trying to find it on, on the popcornbucket.com. I couldn't yeah. remember if you wrote a review of it. I wanted to quote your own review back to you, but I couldn't find <laughs> it. Um, yeah, but you know I like John Carter. So I gave that a watch, and I also watched uh, Django Unchained, which is how I was able to have an engaging conversation with you. Mm. Um, so I will talk about John Carter. So did so was Django Unchained your pick and John Carter because you thought I may pick it? I wasn't sure. I kept flip-flopping on which one I was going to talk about. And just before we started recording, I thought, you know, I've got more to say about Django Unchained. I'll go for that. But... Um, so yeah um so i will talk about john carter yeah i mean did you say all you wanted to to about django unchained yeah i think so i think i managed to get most stuff in did i did i cover all any of the bits that you were kind of like hoping that Uh, we get to talk about yeah i think so i think we talked about most of it yeah well it's a very good film yeah, I, was, I was wondering where that whole different types of violence thing came from. I was just I've like, always, oh, wow. I've always you... thought that. Yeah, no, I know. But like, it, it came to your mind immediately, like you just rewatched it, which, <laughs> lo and behold. I don't always watch two films for a one shot. I do generally choose the one I like and just stick with it. Yeah. So you hadn't seen John Carter before? No. Do, no. do you want to give us the, the sort of fact thing and then maybe an overview before we get into it? Because okay. I haven't seen it for a while. I nearly rewatched it. But didn't because you know I was honouring the one shot thing, but you know it's cool, it's cool that we just. Also, I kind of thought you know I tend to win. I may as well just throw throw my mm-hmm. hand away. Yeah, cool, uh, awesome. Transported to Barsoom, a Civil War vet discovers a barren planet seemingly inhabited by twelve foot tall barbarians. Finding himself prisoner of these creatures, he escapes only to encounter Wooler and a princess in desperate need of a savior. It was directed by Andrew Stanton. Screenplay by Aaron. St- Andrew Stanton, Mark Andrews, Michael Chabon, based on A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs, who wrote Tarzan, starring Taylor Kitsch, Lynn Collins, Samantha Morton, Mark Strong, Kieran Hines, Dominic West, James Purefoy, and William Defoe. Mmm. Mmm. Good cast. So, I'm, I'm always kind of interested in not like sort of franchises that don't go anywhere. Yeah, me too. Um, and like this and the sort of, you know, the dark universe. <laughs> What are you talking about? They've got time. <laughs> <laughs> they've got the logos and everything. Yeah, exactly. Well, they've still got that Invisible Man thing. I don't know if that came out or not. Probably. I don't know. See, that's how much I know about the Dark Universe. But I think a lot think of them they... have gone to Blumhouse now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was meant to be a trilogy. Um, and a, the John Carter character is almost... Well, the book was written... It's almost the inspiration for a lot of space opera type films like Star Wars and Star Trek and all these kind of 
really established franchises we have now. Um, and I think when it came out, it didn't do that well. One of the reasons it didn't do that well was because prior to this, there was a Disney, I think it was a Disney film called Mars Needs Moms, which is an animated film which tanked at the box office. And one of the theories was it tanked because of nobody cares about Mars anymore. I so know. they removed the phrase of Mars from the film John Carter of Mars and just called it John Carter to sort of make it like a Jason Bourne, Jack Reacher, which also came out in 2012 um, type film. And I think people just didn't know, you know, who it, it doesn't have this that sort of cultural memory. I don't think now. Well, it's such a wrong-headed decision as well because the, mm. the the whole John Carter of Mars thing is standard workaday name coupled with far-off planet. That's yeah. that's the point of the whole thing. So, sorry if your name is John Carter, by the way. And I'm if you've just been saying, to Mars, and if you've been to Mars, if you are a Martian, of if you are of Mars, yeah, if you're if you're Matt Damon. Callback. But yeah, that's the whole point. So it's like bland name from Extraordinary Place. But taking away the Extraordinary Place, you've just got John Carter. Yeah. Which, is, I mean, it's hard to get excited about that as a title, isn't it? Yeah. I know it's it, it's one of the dumbest, and I've come back to it a couple of times now, that one of the, the dumbest like examples of stupid marketing just it's almost like witch doctory where they're just like, oh, Mars. Mars isn't selling right now. Mars isn't hot anymore. Let's just get it down to John Carter. So they kneecapped it before it even came out. Yeah, people don't care about space anymore. Yeah. Just like they will if you give them a reason to. Um, yeah, so Taylor Kitsch plays John Carter, or as he introduced himself several times, Carter, John Carter, um, <laughs> a Civil War vet who discovers a magic cave which takes him to Mars. And there he befriends a tribe, and tries to stop a war between two warring factions, falls in love with the princess, and it ends. <laughs> There's also a weird CGI dog thing in it as well. Oh uh, yeah. There's and a lot of Brian weird CGI Cranston in it. shows up. Brian Cranston, yeah, that's yeah. I'm getting I'm getting the sense you didn't like John Carter very much. It didn't really grab me. It felt incredibly dated. Like the way that um because at the beginning, it's all kind of, well, it's, it's like the, the the old Western America, and they get set upon by a stereotypical group of whooping, hollering Native Americans in a way that I don't really think is particularly helpful to portray, to to have on screen anymore. <laughs> and I know the book was written in the sort of the early twentieth century, but the film wasn't made then. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> they found it in a cave with a bunch of scraps. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and then when they get to sort of to Mars, the descriptions of all the um, of all the sort of the tribes on Mars are basically the same as this kind of way that people talked about these sort of things in the early twenties, you know, the late nineteen hundred, oh, sorry, early nineteen hundreds. And it's like generally things get updated. I know there are often complaints about how things are too modernized, sort of from like classic material is too updated for the modern age. But I think a little bit of it doesn't hurt. Yeah, well. <laughs> It's weird because John Carter of Mars, the actual, those those books are the blueprint for a lot of modern culture, as you yeah. said, like with you know with the space opera. But let's not forget he was a he was a, a precursor to Superman as well. Well, I remember you said about things sticking with you ten years or so. I remember I remember reading something. It was either of you at the time, or it was or it was after kind of the dust had settled, the Martian dust had settled, and um, mm. it was sort of saying that. The trouble is, it seems really derivative, and it seems like every story, but it was almost the first story that mm. things like Superman and Star Wars were taken from. So 
we all watched it thinking eh, it's a bit it's a bit like a knockoff Star Wars when if anything Star Wars is a you know arguably a knockoff samurai film but also a knockoff John Carter of Mars. Yeah, John Carter is very much the Hydrox biscuits of the of the whole thing. You know the Hydrox Oreo thing? I do not. So so the the cream chocolate cookies with the cream inside, right? That was Hydrox came up with that first. They were the originators. And then Oreo came along and kind of did the same thing. And people now, because Oreo got big and everything, people think that Hydrox is the ripoff of Oreo. But okay. it actually is the other way around. Uh, Hydrox biscuits, nice. I don't know. I've never had one. Because huh. Oreos aren't really. They're okay. I mean, I was expecting more. It's it's funny. It's funny when you live on uh, an island like Old Blighty because you watch a lot of these American shows and you hear of fantastical snacks and that red you know, cups and their Hershey's chocolate. Yeah, and Twinkies and and you know and Lucky Charms and all that. And then we do get them here sometimes. And Oreos were just like, yeah, that's kind of like a chocolatey type biscuit. Mm. I can, yeah. It's just a bit. I was, I was really, I was underwhelmed when I had a Twinkie as well. Finally, when I was in the US, I was like, right, I've got to get a Twinkie because, I mean, Christ, there's a whole thing in Ghostbusters about it, and and just, and they're rank. Well, any uh, any sort of apocalyptic film is always a joke about a Twinkie. Yes, and they're they're just. Um, apologies if you work for Hostess or you love Twinkies or whatever, but Snowball's better. Anyway, that's beside the point. I don't know what snowball yeah. is either. That's a coconutty thing. I'll explain to you later. Oh, thanks. Um, that's like explain when you're older. Yeah, yeah you're not ready. <laughs> um, yeah, so so it, it's interesting how that works because the thing is as well, with Superman, in the very, very early comics, he didn't actually fly. He could just leap tall buildings with a single bound, oh, much yeah, like yeah. John Carter can yeah. uh, because he's human and he's on Mars. You know, so it's the whole it's the whole kind of thing there. So, so there are certain things. So yes, it being the blueprint and having sort of everything sort of cannibalized to parts. I don't think there's too much left that's kind of new and exciting. And no. um, and yeah, it's I mean, just visually it's a nice looking film. They they, they make mm. a big use of like the opening bit when he is in the sort of the western. Um, I don't know if it is Death Valley, but there's sort of that place in America with like the big open spaces and the. Uh, uh, the sort of the high uh, cliffs and things that's used is that in almost Monument Valley. Uh, it's almost like used know. in every western. Yeah, it's it's one of those places. Yeah, but that always look, looks quite cool and you know refreshingly not CGI. Mm. Um, and the, the sort of the landscapes on Mars are, are good as well, but it, it there's nothing there to be like oh wow look at this like every okay. like the two tribes are basically are, are literally split into red people and blue people. You know, yeah. all the good guys wear red or the bad guys wear blue um you can get that from like an anfield derby i made a sport joke that yes liverpool versus everton i know these teams sport ball um i like the fact that like all the planets are basically like assume like basume just assume <laughs> basume. I, don't, I, I don't know i can't remember brigadoom i don't know <laughs> brigadoom we've already mentioned that was the scottish village that appears what? Remember? Nope. Brigadoon was uh, when we're, the MGM Classics episode, which is the most referenced episode now, other than the other franchise that we're not going to talk about. But I, I mentioned, I mentioned Brigadoon because uh, Seven Brothers, Seven Brothers had 
budgetary problems because they put all their money in the Brigadoon basket. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Barsoom. There's lots of there's lots of words like that. You know, and uh but I think Barsoom is, is never said regularly. It's always Barsoom. Yeah, so uh Carter gets rescued by the Tharks. I assume yeah. that was Willem Dafoe. It was like a voice. Yeah. Um and they've got four arms to show yes. their aliens and the green and tall. Um they sort of treat him as one of their, their hatchlings and then he because he can jump really high. I think it's something to do with the gravity or the difference in gravity to Earth. He sort of befriends him. And, it, and it, it's, you know, it's Dances with Wolves, it's Avatar, it's The Last Samurai. Um, he sort of befriends the tribe and then tries to save them from, not they're particularly oppressed, but they're definitely like sort of the third class citizens on Mars mm. uh, under the sort of the two tribes of the, the sort of the warring people led by, oh, I can't remember who's led by, Dominic West. I've actually, I actually can't make any sense of half the notes I've made here. Um, sometimes I've written, it's a bit racist. Um, <laughs> searing insight there. <laughs> so there's, yeah. a, there's a civil war on Mars between two, between two tribes, the red people and the blue people. There's meant to be a forced marriage between uh, Dominic West and the princess, who is played by Lynn Collins. Lynn Collins of Mars. Lynn Collins of Mars. Lynn Collins, the princess of Mars. Um John Carter falls in love with the princess. She falls in love with him um, when she finally believes that he is from Earth. And they unite with the Tharks to defeat Dominic West's army. And he's sort of manipulated by Mark Strong, who appears. And the minute he appears, like, he's a bad guy. Um, he's sort of. Oh, wait, manip- wait, spoilers. Mark he's, Strong's a bad guy? Yeah. What? He's almost like a, a spoiler in the sense, just by being there in the same with Sean Bean is. Yeah. And the Tharks join with John Carter and sort of take on Dominic West and they, everything's okay in the end. Mm. There is a bit where John Carter clear, clearly has uh, PTSD and there's a bit where Mark Strong has convinced sort of some of the more warlike Tharks to try and kill John Carter of Mars. And John Carter of Mars, rather than deal with his PTSD, slaughters the entire battalion that's sent after him. And then he just <laughs> kind of goes back to the village and is all right. He's like, he has killed like thousands of their relatives. Yeah, yeah, he can jump really high. I'm, I'm, I kind of, I want to stick up for John Carter a little bit. I felt the dialogue was full of exposition, yet I didn't understand anything that was going on. Yeah, it does have that. It does have that problem. It, I think the opening, the opening sort of narration hits you with about seven different nonsense words. Well, also the main city is called Helium, which really yeah. sticks out. So every time, like you know, you know. We we need to get to helium. We can't get enough helium. Let's all get. I mean, it's it's weird. And they're like, "Welcome to helium." <laughs> um, the, great joke, Rob. Just it just admit it's a great joke, and we'll move on. It's like Calvin Candy. You have got to shake my hand. Admit it's a great joke. I couldn't resist, and I'll shoot you through. <laughs> <laughs> because Ben, you are an abysmal winner. I um, am an abysmal winner. Yeah. I like the framing device. So the film starts with. Um, a young gentleman hurrying back to his uncle who or his uh, his uncle's grave and he it turns out is Edgar Rice Burroughs and his uncle is John Carter and he's reading John Carter of Mars's diary and mm-hmm. so that's the kind of framing bit that Edgar Rice Burroughs is reading John Carter of Mars um and John Carter of Mars wants him to um guard his body because Mark Strong's people will still try and sort of destroy him while he's in the tomb because he's not actually dead he's just pretending but he's projecting himself back to Mars but it turns out twist 
he's faked his own death because he wants this little teleportation thing to get back to Mars to be with the princess. So by luring Mark Strong out, because Edgar Rice Burroughs opens the tomb, Burroughs opens the tomb. Um, uh, because he, uh, Mark Strong has the, the, the teleporter, uh, the teleporter, it enables John Carter of Mars to kill him and then have the teleporters to go back to Mars. Yeah, where his heart lies. Yeah, it is quite a convoluted story. I do, I do like the framing device. There are, it's a, you know, it, it looks nice in terms of visuals. I like the arena fight. Yeah, it was alright. I'm, I'm, a, I'm always a sucker for an arena fight. And that, that really sticks out for me. And they kind of lent into it with the marketing as well. I think the poster was him facing off against those giant alien creatures. The white ape things I kept referring yeah. to. Yeah. I like what that, as they go into the, um, into the arena, he says to, um, William Defoe's character, um, is this your work? Cause there's all these sort of slaughtered things on the floor. And William Defoe says, Banths, which just sounds like Bants. Yeah, it's just Bants. <laughs> just Bants, mate. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. there was there was going to be this is a, a planned trilogy. You'd have uh, it was going to be followed by Gods of Mars and Warlord of Mars. Mm. Um, but or just Gods and Warlord if the marketing team had anything to do yeah, with it. Because we can't talk about Mars. Yeah. Um, the film's poor box office performance just meant it, it, nothing ever happened. And Andrew Stanton went on to direct Finding Dory, which is a great film. Um. And Disney allowed the rights to the novels to go back to the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate, who still want to make films. I think one of the things about it, it is generic. I don't think they did themselves any favours casting Taylor Kitsch. Mm. Mm. The saddest bit for me was at the end, um, when this when the film ends, they've got a nice logo for John for the John Carter of Mars franchise, mm. and it's sad they never got to it. Like the like the uh, the Dark Universe, it's sad that this just just gets lost. Mm. Like tears in rain. Yeah, I, I, I will, I will clarify my Taylor Kitsch thing. I don't think he's a bad actor. I just don't think they kept trying to make him happen, <laughs> and he, and he wasn't happening. In the way I feel that about Sam Worthington. Yeah, same similar sort of thing. Like it's just I, I think because the material can seem generic, although you know a punchier script and whatever could have definitely helped. I think you need like a crisp. Uh, Chris Pratt. I was going to say a crisp rat, <laughs> but you need a Chris Pratt type character. You need you need that sort of leading man with the sort of sense of humor about himself. Taylor Kitsch kind of plays it weirdly straight, which I guess is the point. They but... all play it straight. I think if it was made now, like the other, you know, I know we talk about Marvel a lot, but I think the other side of kind of showing that a bit of humor doesn't necessarily spoil a film. <laughs> like June had two or three jokes. Um, mm. Which, you know, whilst the films don't have to be a, you know, don't have to be a laugh a minute, there are some times where, like some of the MCU films I do feel are maybe a little heavy on the humour. But this is just so po-faced. Well, that's the thing. You need, you need the full gamut of emotions, don't you? So, you know, you will have, they're fine to have sort of anger and sadness, you know, loss, tragedy and everything. But, you need the other side of it to make those things more effective. Yeah. And I, I don't understand why, why a lot of filmmakers haven't quite got that yet. Like the fact that you need, you need the other side of the coin to sort of balance it out. 
I I don't know. It it seems odd to me. And and yeah, that that is the one thing. Even though it does have a speedy CGI alien dog, who I really like, by the way. He didn't mention the dog at all. It didn't really stick on me, to be honest. He's awesome. Shut up. Okay. He's the bestest boy. I think. I think. Yeah, a little bit more levity would have been would have been good, and maybe a more charismatic leading man. And I a different title. Him. And uh... <laughs> well, it was going to be the Princess of Mars, but then Norm would see that because ugh, princesses, and they need that sort of teen boy demographic because media was still pandering to them almost exclusively back then. I mean, it's still kind of the same now, but. We're getting better. So, it's a shame. I feel like I, I robbed you of your actual pick. No, no, not at all, mate. No, no. I mean, I suppose that's the danger of the one-shot. Indeed. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because John Carter was... I, I I put it in the same thing as the Lone Ranger, whereas, like, I like it, but nobody else does. Yeah. Also made by Disney, also kind of a flop for them that yeah, didn't com- turn into them. They're very comparable, mm. <laughs> you know. Yes, failed franchise starters... Uh, yeah, and and all sorts of reasons why they didn't work. So if they if they were to make Django Zorro, I'd be definitely in line to see. It. I, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the comic anyway, um, mm. and you know my their sort of fondness for the Zorro character was documented in our episode on the subject. And Django Unchained is a brilliant film. So if they were to make a sequel, then yes, I absolutely see it. If they were to make a sequel to John Carter of Mars of Mars, I wouldn't be interested. Mm. Not even a curiosity thing. It just, yeah, it, was, it left me, it left me cold. It wouldn't have your curiosity or attention. No, it didn't have my curiosity or attention. Yeah, I, I think it would. I, I, I kind of have a fondness for old school sci-fi, like properly old school. I do feel sorry for it because you know it had the nice logo and everything, but I do feel that <laughs> you're obsessed with this fucking logo. <laughs> Look for the positives. Um, I do feel that it was, you know, it was their first, but everyone else kind of because it was, you know, the precursor to so many of these things that we know and love now. It's all like, yeah, okay, yeah. Mm. It's the hipster of um, of sci-fi. Yeah, it's. I told you, man, it's the Hydrox. Mm. I still don't understand that reference. That's it for Rob's tenure on the Popcorn Bucket Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. This is now the outro where I'm all terse and snippy. So, Django Unchained wins, yeah? Oh, yeah, no, of course, of course, of course. See, it's funny because you picked the Ben pick of of the kind of things. Because, as I said, I, the, the contrarian in me was kind of like, ooh, I could stick up for this movie. But uh, what look, man? At least you gave it a shot. Oh yeah, a one shot. No, I, was, I mean, I, it could have been. A, I could have enjoyed it. I didn't. I was always interested in it because th- those kind of like things where there's loads of hype and uh, you know marketing and it, you know it's going to be the next big thing and then it isn't. Because mm. I mean, Battleship came out in that year as well. And I think that was meant to be a franchise, wasn't it? Yeah, that is that is a weird movie. That was one of those sort of Hasbro toy films. Yeah. Isn't Taylor Kitchen that as well? I don't know. I, I, I have a quick look. I think he is, you know. Bear with me. He was. Okay. Yeah. And we'll be talking about him again because he's the next one, Origins Wolverine. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so, yes. Yeah. I, well, man, do you know what? It's a Tarantino, so you kind of mm. expect mm. lots of swearing and violence and everything. And he lives down to expectations uh, in that respect. But uh, I can see, you know, I, I try and I try and do like the test of my mind. Like 
if you put on one of these movies, I which one are pe- people, general people, more likely to enjoy? Django and Unchained. I, da- I, I dare say it would be Django Unchained. Oh yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Or if it was on, um, if it was on telly and you were sort of late at night, and you're like, I'll oh, just watch a bit and then I'm watching the whole thing. Django yeah, I, John Carter. I can I can imagine you just going, oh fuck this. I'll just I'll sleep. I've got work tomorrow. You know. <laughs> so yeah, but I I will I will say that I enjoyed it more than you did definitely yeah and and i just it's it's all right it's 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 okay so people who haven't checked out john cars yet give it a shot anyway what you got to lose apart from two and a half hours of your life that you'll never get back but you wouldn't get that back from a good film either though no exactly so you know it it's i wouldn't watch it again i wouldn't rush to watch it again yes yes whereas django i imagine you've seen multiple times oh yeah, yeah, yeah django Django Unchained. That means I win. Are, are we are we keeping track of these things we now? Because be. I know currently it's one all or one to one and a half. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so so that's it. So I've won. I I feel excellent about you it. Share your victory with me. I. <laughs> it's a one shot, man. You live by the one shot. You die by the one shot. You choose John Carter of Mars. Not of Mars, it's not popular anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, well I think it's time for Ben and Rob of Earth to sign off. <laughs> Outro bud. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for listening. We'd love to have your feedback. Please email podcast at the popcornbucket.com. You can find us on Instagram at popcornbucketpod or over on Twitter at popcornbucketpd or at www.thepopcornbucket.com. Mm. Mm. Um, well, I'm actually going to have a new review up there. Oh, cool. I've been working on it, a, a review of Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I finally saw. Okay, cool. Ben's reviews so, are excellent. They're always funny as well. So oh, look thanks, out for man. that. When you get, oh, I'll share it on social media when we get to it. Cool. Um, if you're able to, it'd be great if you can rate the episode wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and share. Thank you so much to Lawrence Owen of longcatmedia.com for the theme music. Many thanks. Take care. And see you next episode. Well, he said. Django! Django! <laughs> Django, catch you on the Discord line. Yeah. Django.